Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 46, and I'm your co-host, Nigel. I'm Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And our guest today is an illustrator and manga creator by the name of Inko. Inko, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really delighted to come back. Yeah, we, we last had Inko on episode number 32, where we talked about uh, another Hayao Miyazaki uh, film, Princess Mononoke. So we'll have that link in the show notes for anyone that wants to check that out. And yeah, we're going to talk about another. Uh, I feel, was that his first? It wasn't his first one, was it? Like Princess Mononoke, does anyone know? <laughs> we'll, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll fact check that later. No, I was going to say like we we discussed his first one and now we're going to discuss his latest one, but I can't do that now so anyway <laughs> um <laughs> you can subscribe to our podcast um on apple podcast spotify and wherever wherever you get your podcast from you can also send us feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com or on social media we're at myamada on twitter at myamada tease on instagram or at tazzy on both let's start with what's happening in the myamada universe <laughs> Uh, we've got a few projects and things we're lining up by, uh, before the end of the year, but looking forward to 2021, which I'm sure we're all kind of uh, hopeful will make it uh, to that year, the way things are going. But we have a date for the next GamePad Online event, which is January the 16th, 2021. We've also got a video where me and Tazzy are talking about different things we've got planned for the GamePad community. So uh, check out our YouTube for that video. And as for GamePad Online, uh, we're going to be doing the same, actually not the same Friendly Fire tournament, but we are going to be doing a Friendly Fire tournament. Uh, we have a new game uh, that we're going to be including in the tournament called Swim Sanity. And that is by indie developer Decoy Games, who we're also going to be interviewing on our next episode. So for those that don't know, Gamepad Online is our online Gamepad event that we stream across Twitch and YouTube. Uh, it's hosted by Tazzy and a mix of gaming tournaments, uh, community videos, and interviews from people within the games industry. So a mix of entertainment and education. And yeah. Um, if you haven't joined us for that, tickets are available. Please do join us. Come see what it's all about. Bring your friends, obviously virtually. Uh, and yeah, what else have we got? Oh, and then we're going to be doing more th activities and events over our Discord uh, channel, including what I'm calling the Christmas artwork challenge, um, at least for now. Anyway, uh, so we want to make a Christmas artwork with within the Maya Matter universe with some of the Maya Matter characters, but we want to give the community a chance to help us put it together by letting us know which characters you want to see in the artwork uh, and themes and things like that. So yeah, jump in the Discord. Uh, we're gonna have um, we're gonna do some kind of democracy. This is a this is a democracy kind of week, um, and we'll see how that goes in both cases. <laughs> uh, outside of Gamepad, we've also got our next manga that we're going to be working on called Serious Through the Fog. We ran a successful Kickstarter over September, and yeah, it was just like getting to work on it, which means I need to write it or finish writing it. Penali needs to illustrate it. Uh, we're also going to have some variant cover art work with 
many artists, well, a few artists, including Inco. So you've got that to look forward to uh, as well. Yeah, I haven't, we haven't like worked out exactly how it's going to look yet, but we'll have something. I'm sure it'll be great. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then um, last, but definitely not least, actually, it's not even last. I'm going to be doing some interviews for upcoming digital conventions. So we've got Thought Bubble Digital Festival and Malta Online Comic Con. So I'll be doing a panel for Thought Bubble around manga and uh, a series of one-on-one interviews for the Malta Comic Con. So we're going to have links to those events and dates and everything uh, in the show notes. So yes, it's time we're all in. Um, We're doing digital stuff, but it has meant being able to talk to different creatives um, about interesting topics so please do check that out and finally last but not least uh, we're going to end the year of podcasting with a special podcast live stream on saturday 12th december uh is that okay for you tazzy uh i think so cool all right we're just doing the the meeting the meeting is now (laughs) um but yeah at some point in december we're gonna have a live stream so the idea is we're going to be recapping what has been a interesting year to say the least talking about our favorite stories uh inviting the uh my matter team so uh lao uh lara lee penali and guests fans uh just to talk about yeah different stories um of the year and just hang out for a few hours on twitch and youtube so yeah please do follow us on twitch so you can be notified when that goes live but we're going to let people know like way ahead of time once we sorted out all the details uh, and that is what we are working on in the my matter universe let's find out what everyone's story of the week is <laughs> So this is the part of the podcast where we have a little discussion, spoiler free, about what stories everyone has been reading, watching or playing. And we'll start with our guest, Inko. Hey, uh, I've been watching The Last of Us Part 2 gameplay through on the YouTube. So I'm not really actually playing it, but watching <laughs> people playing them. And I'm really, really in love with the game. Um, such a brilliant graphic, brilliant action. And so much human drama in it. It really made me cry when I watched it. And then that's why I'm heavily, heavily watching it. I, I want to ask you what bit you. I want to ask you what bit you cried out, but I can't because I don't want to spoil it. But <laughs> yeah, spoiler-free discussion. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. It's, um, how, so you guys probably have played a part one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you you know the stories of the part one then. And then Nigel knows that what's going to happen in part two as well. Yes, I have. I've played part two. Um, I've felt some feelings, and yeah, that's that's all I can say. But I was interested yeah. to, I guess, get your thoughts because you mentioned the human drama and into specifics. Uh, the Last of Us is, I think you mentioned before we started recording, like similar to The Walking Dead in that you've got the the zombies or the infected. And that almost becomes like a backdrop, like an environment to what is really interesting human drama. And there's a, like a lot of it in that game. So you've watched the whole game story. Yeah, that's right. Probably three or four times. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> you know, different game players. So, you know, on the different YouTube channels. But it really, yeah, makes me, um, every time I watch it, it makes me really 
you know, swing my emotions a lot and uh, watching human drama and watching great action play at the same time, which is really, uh, yeah, it, it, I love it so much. It must be interesting getting the different people's gameplay through of it because you sort of have their their way of playing their input as well yeah yeah but sadly i don't have enough time to play actual games but when i have a time really love watching people playing games especially the last of us to part two excellent it's a great way to see it's like uh, get the experience of a game another way to like experience the story of a game one of the reasons i love games so much is there's so many different ways yeah to experience them uh, especially in the modern world of content creation. Yeah, I'm actually actually mentioning a game, uh, which rarely happens on this podcast, even though I play games all the time. But I, it's recently been Halloween. So for Halloween, I done a special Halloween stream. And one of the games that I ended up playing was Little Nightmares, uh, which, wow, is amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's really short. It took me five hours uh, while streaming and interacting with chat to play and also started on the DLC. Uh, but it was, it was like 3 a.m. at this point, so I uh, didn't finish it. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, amazing game and amazing storytelling because there is zero dialogue in that game. Interesting. Yeah. But it still takes you on a on a on a story on a journey and is a little bit scary <laughs> but I am also a big scaredy cat so I mean most people are like oh it's not that scary uh, but I found it still a little bit on edge Ni- nicely not not as cruelly as actual horror games uh, like sort of dark horror games uh, not to say this isn't dark it's very dark it's a very dark game with some very dark themes displayed in it but again very interesting considering there's no dialogue in it and I really want to play it again uh, and I'm looking forward to the second one and I'm looking forward to finishing the DLC because it's just it's amazing looking amazing mechanics it doesn't give you a tutorial as well is that for like for good or bad oh brilliant okay you kind of I mean the controls are like pretty simple there's nothing complex in there uh but it's all part of like the puzzle is figuring out which buttons do what. And it's a very easy. Um, it does offer you hints on stuff. If you're like really stuck, it will tell you what buttons do. <laughs> but um, yeah, other than that, it just, you know, you just got to figure out what's jump and what's grab and how to get your little lighter out and stuff. So no, it's really interesting. I love, I love that it kind of just faces you with a obstacle and that's how you learn the mechanics uh you just gotta figure out it's a nice little puzzle story no dialogue very stunning looking has amazing artwork i've just added it to my steam wish list oh yeah all right (laughs) it's such a short game as well so it's a really easy playthrough like definitely top recommend um nigel what about you uh, so I have been watching The Boys season two on Amazon Prime, and I I bring this up because I recently finished it. Also, by the time this episode goes out, the uh, US election will have happened, and I feel The Boys, specifically season two, 
and specifically Homelander feels to me very much uh, <laughs> there's a lot of inspiration taken from what is happening uh in the US right now or the past few years. Oh. Uh take take that as you <laughs> take that as you want. <laughs> but I feel like yeah they've been uh they've uh, inspired. So I don't know, have either of you seen season one of this or No. No, seen one episode, not so Okay. So I really enjoyed this show. I have not uh, read the the comic that it's based off of, but I just like the way it takes a very, I guess, cynical look at um, superheroes and the whole superhero, uh, I guess, superhero culture, um, the the worship of of superheroes, and sort of tear, tears that down. So the idea of the boys is it you track uh, the protagonist uh, Huey, and this is like in the first few moments of season one but his his girlfriend is killed by a superhero uh who can run like really really fast and basically runs into her and explodes her it's also a very violent and uh graphically violent uh show so (laughs) you literally see this in in slow motion no less yeah (laughs) so that sets the scene i feel in that just in that moment it it sort of sets the scene for what is going to happen in terms of not captain america this is not like uh marvel's relatively safe stuff is is very very violent uh and like i said it sort of takes down that superhero mythos so the character that um that kills huey's girlfriend i don't remember his name a-train uh, how do I forget that? Uh, so A-Train is, is the character. He belongs to, he's one of the members of the Seven, which is like the elite uh, superheroes uh, in this world. And kind of season one shows you the Seven through the eyes of of the world, also through the eyes of Huey as a non-superhero person who's been very, you know, sort of badly impacted by superheroes and the fact that there's no consequence for uh for what a train has done to his girlfriend it also shows you the uh the perspective of uh starlight who is a new member in the seven uh, and she is someone who has uh she's got superpowers uh she's kind of that um i'm sure there's a there's a trope uh there's a name for this trope but she's sort of sort of blonde young uh attractive uh uh superhero and she's in, and innocent as well. So she's that kind of, she's wanted to be a superhero. She has ideas of what it is. She then gets to the seven and all those like ideas fall apart. So um, you have the leader of the seven who's Homelander. Uh, and I won't go into like the whole of season one, but season two kind of obviously picks up where season one left off. And it really takes Homelander for me to a, a, new, a new low that I love to watch. Like there are a few characters that come to mind that I actually like genuinely love to hate and I love to hate this guy. <laughs> the, what's his, so the actor is Anthony Starr. I just feel he just, su- he does such a good job of being a terrible, terrible person. And there's a couple moments where like, he's just bad. Like Homeland is like, he's kind of like Superman and mixed in between Superman and Captain America. So he's this patriotic, his cape is the American flag. And in many ways I feel is kind of, like I say, taking influence from America, sort of the perception of America versus the reality. And he just embodies that so, so well. He's so well done. And mm-hmm. I just hate him. <laughs> he's, just, he's just a terrible person. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I've watched season, uh, season two. Uh, I, if you like, if you like superhero stories, then you, you enjoy it. Uh, if you don't, you might also enjoy it because it, it is not favorable to superheroes. And what I really like about it 
I think this is in part because I haven't read the source material. I haven't read the comics, but it's a story I genuinely don't know what's going to happen next. There are many moments where I'm like, ooh, I don't know if they're going to be okay. Like, I, I don't know where it's going to go. Um, and last thing I'll say about it is another great character is um, uh, Billy Butcher, who is sort of the the leader of this uh, resistance group, which uh, Huey is drafted into of uh, non-superhero or soups. They call them, they call superhero soups. And Billy has his own kind of drama uh, and his own history with Homelander uh, over his wife. Um, and he's kind of, at least to me, and certainly in season two, he, he's sort of the, the non-superhero version of Homelander in a, in a sense that like they both sort of severely damaged individuals. Um, yeah. yeah. And they both, both go to like just extremes. So, uh, yeah, just watching his performance as well is really great. But yeah, I just, I recommend, I really like the, the season and, um yeah suggest everyone check it out cool and yeah that is me so i just got caught up in like uh <laughs> the boys uh, <laughs> uh drama talk about human drama uh so we're gonna go from that into our main story discussion for today and today is slightly less drama filled maybe we'll see how this goes but we're going to be talking about the wind rises which is the last i'm gonna put last in air quotes uh animation directed by uh hayao maizaki before he announced his retirement in 2013 uh, and as i understand he has since come out of retirement in 2017 so he's got something new that's coming out next year or the year after i'm not sure it also stars uh joseph gordon levitt emily blunt and john krasinski so as usual Spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about all the details of this story. So if you haven't seen it, uh, I recommend you watch it. It's really good. Um, and yeah, come back to us and listen to what we've got to say. So let's start with a quick overall impressions from everyone. And then I'll recap the story and we'll go from there. So Inko, uh, what did you think? What's your uh, quick take? And also, I uh, was interested to see, did you see it in... Japanese language or English language? Uh, I watched both in the Japanese language in cinema in Japan and in English language in cinema in England. So I watched both versions. And then my first intake was really, really beautiful film, I thought. It's very difficult to follow the, what the story goes, but uh, the cinematography was fantastic. And then I really loved the actually English voiceover. <laughs> I really prefer the English version. You said like the voice acting specifically. Yeah, voice acting specifically. I prefer the English version. Ah, interesting. Okay. Uh, what did you think, Tazzy? I'm going to sound like a bit like, you know, when they put stuff on their covers, normally do this for musicals, but I'm going to go with like breathtaking, stunning. like. Five stars, yeah. I originally saw this in the cinema with uh, Japanese with English subtitles and then watched it again today just in English. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was great watching it a second time as well because first time was just, like, being so taken away with how beautiful and, like, that sort of, like, really artistic feel that it has. And the second time, I was like following more with the story and like getting grasp with the part. So yeah, but both times, like just taken away by it. 
yeah the, just like visually it's so impressive and it's like i it's that i guess it's something about like a 2d art that like you can just you can just look at it <laughs> like you can yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> just visually it's not always the same with 3d art but like 2d hand-drawn it just you just look at it and it's like this is just visually impressive in a non-cg kind of way definitely yeah so i mean i yeah i really enjoyed it i think i wouldn't say it was my favorite and it's a slightly different tone which we'll kind of get into then some of um studio uh or uh certainly miyazaki's other work but what i really like is that he makes films that like once it's done i'm thinking about it i'm, I'm thinking about what happened and character choices and like what i might do in similar situations and things like that and i really like that about uh stories as well as sort of like we talked about visually and uh and um just the ability to let the story kind of play out without rushing it uh as well so and i think the subject matter is a interesting one because yeah obviously being uh set in world war well just before world war Two, but from a different perspective uh, it's also really sad. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, I wasn't quite sad, yeah. yeah ready for that. It's, it's like genuinely a a sad story in in a few different ways. So yeah, we'll get into it, and um, yeah, let me recap it, and then we'll get into it. So uh, the story takes us to 1918, where young Jiro Horikoshi longs to become a pilot, but nearsightedness prevents him from being one. However. He learns about Italian aircraft designer Giovanni Caproni and dreams about him that night. In the dream, Caproni tells Giro that building planes is better than flying them anyway. Five years later, Giro travels by train where he meets Naoko Satomi just as the Great Kanto earthquake of 1923 hits. Naoko's maid's leg is broken and Giro carries her to Naoko's family home. Now 1927, Jiro graduates with his friend Kiro Honjo and both are employed at Mitsubishi and tasked with designing the Falcon fighter plane for the Imperial Army. During the test, the Falcon breaks apart and the army rejects it. Jiro and Honjo are sent to Germany in 1929 to carry out technical research. Jiro again dreams of Caproni, who tells him that the world is better for the beauty of planes, even if people put them to terrible use. Jiro goes to summer, a summer resort where he again meets Naoko. There he is also told by a German visitor, Kastorp, a private, who is privately critical of the Nazi regime, that engineer Hugo Junkers is in trouble for fighting Hitler's government and that Germany must be stopped before going to war. Jiro asks Naoko's father for his blessing to marry her and the two are engaged. However, Naoko has tuberculosis and wants to wait until she recovers to marry. Castorp cheers the romance before fleeing arrest by Japanese secret police. Wanted in connection with Castorp, Jiro flees arrest and hides at his supervisor's home while he works on a new project. Following a lung hemorrhage, Naoko recuperates in a mountain sanatorium, but returns to marry Jiro. Though her health deteriorates, she and Jiro still enjoy their time together. Jiro then leaves for the test flight of his new prototype aircraft. Knowing that she will die soon, Naoko re returns to the sanatorium, leaving letters to Jiro, her family and friends. At the test site, Jiro is distracted from his success by a gust of wind, suggesting Naoko's passing. Now summer of 1945, 
Japan has lost World War II. Jiro again dreams of meeting Caproni, telling him he regrets that his aircraft was used for war. Caproni comforts him, saying that Jiro's dream of building beautiful aircraft was nonetheless realized. Naoko then appears, encouraging her husband to live his life to the fullest. The end. So, like I, I mentioned, um, the idea that this is a is a is a very different tone. So it's a like a fictionalized biopic of a Japanese uh, aircraft engineer. So it's a it's a more real story in that sense. And I also felt it's a more adult story. Mm. What did you think about sort of this film compared to Miyazaki's previous work and like the the more realistic setting versus the fantastical one uh, that he's kind of known for? I find it very, very personal piece because other Studio Ghibli films that has got more like a non-realistic settings but quite lots of a, a realistic thing in it. But this one is realistic setting with uh, actual historical events based on the actual people. But then there are so many Hayao Miyazaki's fantasies in it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> his love of the um, fighter airplanes and stuff like that. So I found this very, very personal piece. Um, maybe because he was about to retire or um, animation industry, but I found it very, very personal film compared with other his works. Yeah, it did feel like that kind of even if it, it you know it wasn't his story, but it was a very personal um story. Like how about you, Tazi? Yeah, it's definitely like that uh different I think even like the pacing is very different. Mm. Um, yeah. and more more mature. Mm. And I think even though uh it's oh, his other films have uh mature themes and complex themes this is like done in a very mature way and a very like adult way yeah no i i, I feel that it yeah it just definitely strikes a different tone and like you mentioned pacing i was going to mention this later but what i really like about miyazaki's work at least like i'm going to say the, the confidence to let the story play out without rushing it and it's very much i don't know if it, this is like a a Western thing versus an Eastern thing or specific to him. Um, maybe a mix of both. But I feel sometimes, let's say like anim Western animation, you there's a lot of, I guess, signposting of the certain like plot points or whether it's through sort of music or whatever, like cinematography is in play that, you know, this is the end of, I don't know, the act one, like the beginning. We now know all the characters that we're now going to go into the the, the rising conflict uh, across act two. And it's, it's very much signposted. Whereas this, it, I don't feel like those moments are necessarily signposted. It just, it just happens. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a, there's a confidence in that because you can, you can think that, oh, I need to get to this point by this time. So we need to, that explosion needs to happen at, at that time or, or this uh, relationship needs to break down at that time. And it, it, it can feel like uh, sort of, yeah, need to get to those points and rush to those points. Whereas this is just, here's the setting, here's this boy's dream, here's how it, it's going to play out and you make of it <laughs> what you want. Yeah, I'm not necessarily yeah. tell no you goals. what to think. Yeah. And I, I can see how that can be, I mean, it's, it's definitely a slower film. I feel he makes sort of slower pieces and this is maybe even slower. Uh, mm -hmm. So I can see how that could be a problem for some viewers, but then I quite 
yeah, I, I like that. Just like, I'm going to, this is the story, you know, you're here for two hours. So I'm just going <laughs> to show you what I want to want to show yeah. you. And so I, I quite like that. I think it really works for the story and for the setting. And you're watching, like, you're watching this story of someone's life unfold mm. uh, rather than watching a plot unfold. Mm, true. Yeah. No, definitely. And I think sort of in terms of pacing, I think the only, maybe the only issues I had was something at the beginning when you go from like, he's a boy and he's in school and now he's sort of a uh, man. There was some, maybe like some, like pacing issues within the story but overall yeah i just like that kind of i'm going to take my time with this uh, approach uh the other thing i was thinking about is the setting and the not not even the setting but the, the nature of the story and what jiro was doing because it's an interesting approach i i wasn't like i, I could tell the, like the time period and what was happening but it wasn't too quite a way in it that it sort of dawned on me that oh he's making planes to fight in the war oh wait uh, japan are kind of like the the quote-unquote enemy at least from a western perspective they're the, they're the enemy but i like him <laughs> so, uh, so wait a minute <laughs> so yeah and it's uh and then when i was putting the notes together i i kind of um so i was reading about the controversy uh that people and yeah the controversy around this film uh, and the fact that people felt he what's the word like whitewashed um sort of the the controversial nature of what Jiro was doing and Japan's role in uh in the in the wars so yeah I guess I wanted to bring that up and like it's not necessarily that the war was ignored because you you definitely saw like impacts of um what Jiro was doing and and just yeah the, the conflict especially when he went to went to Germany but it it very much felt that uh Miyazaki was like I'm not gonna look at that i'm going to focus on this man and his dream within this context and even Jiro himself uh, i felt that was like a theme where it's like some acknowledgement of what his pains are used for but that's not what he was focused on either i personally think it worked really well for the story and the person like the character that it was following um and i feel like this is something as just if anyone creates anything, it's always, you know, going to be used for, for bad. And I think it's, it's part of the story. It's like the line that the, uh, was it the Italian? Oh, come on. Mm. Yeah. It said, that, uh, do you want to live in a world with or without pyramids? Yeah. Yeah. That makes you think. And it's like this idea of like, that's where the funding is. That's where the opportunity is he's just creating planes <laughs> beautiful planes and i think even there's even a point where um he's like briefing his team on the plane that he got uh was in charge of the head of head head engineer on and he joked about oh it's too heavy maybe we uh should have carried <laughs> the bombs <laughs> oh yeah yeah he wanted to take out the weapons yeah I'm not sure if he was joking. He wasn't joking, was he? <laughs> he was like, so we're going to have to scrap that idea. And it was just this this idea of he still doesn't want it to carry bombs. But I think there's loads of points where it's commented on. Um, even like uh, his friends, like, you just have to get over it. Like, we're just, that's just what, that's who we work for. It's just, you've got to have to deal. There's even when he's looking, when they go to Germany, he's like, this plane's too beautiful it's such a shame for this to carry bombs. 
and that's kind of the tone like and I feel like that's common to see displayed in in any kind of uh show or movie is like the person who is either the scientist or the engineer the creator of some kind is just creating their wonderful thing they just want to do the work yeah they just have this idea and they just want to make their idea happen and they'd rather it be worth its value just for that uh but unfortunately uh that's not how the world works uh and evil tends to have a lot of money. <laughs> mm, yeah. And war in general tends to have a lot of money. Yeah. It kind of, it got me thinking because then, like, I guess like, maybe for you, Inko, to, I don't know if you've ever considered this, like when you're making a story, like what's the, or is there a responsibility to sort of address certain subjects or make a statement? I feel the the film doesn't necessarily make a statement either way, although it does show, mm-hmm. like it, part of the sadness is showing how, sort of you know Giro's creations and his imagination is used for destruction but do you feel like there's a responsibility to make any kind of statement on on the war if you're going to set a, a story within it so um because I, I found that this film is not war movie at all really like uh, it, uh yeah everybody say it's it's not it's controversy. It's not mentioning about the responsibility of the war, yeah. uh, about himself, about his creation. But because this film is so focused on Jiro, what who who he is and what he does, it's it's really the really so such an unfortunate era that he's living in. He's a great engineer um, or uh, aircraft designer, but he is just loving making things, and then it doesn't. It's, there's no scene that he uh, clearly saying about if he's understanding the gravity of the um, warcraft he's making or um, he's mentioning about war itself. It's not really clearly he's mentioning it. So no. um, we never knew that's what exactly he's thinking. But this that it's not really like uh, I, I don't seem it's a, a priority of this, this movie. It's really like a, um, war aside, but. He's just doing what he does, and then that's why people just uh, uh, probably it's confusing for many people. That it's you know having a war thing in it, but not really about war at all. And I, I got the impression from from like some of the the, the comments and analysis I saw that as people were wanting Miyazaki to maybe address it a bit more, or at least portray japan in a different light so like for example something i sort of noticed and seen pointed out is like you don't see the japanese planes attacking anyone or like there's a moment where i think where is in germany and you kind of see what i assume are sort of hitler's soldiers sort of attacking people and yeah it's not really it's just something that happens off the side and like for Jiro in particular like he because as a as a character in the story he knows like he's not oblivious he knows what he's mm. going into but his character seems very much like i'm just <laughs> i'm just not even yeah i just, I just don't care almost i so focus on making his paints yeah yeah like even yeah i feel there's a moment like him as a character as well he's quite i think aloof is the, the right way just yeah just like i just want to make these planes yeah they also make about a joke about him like being actually human oh yeah Yeah, when he when he says he's engaged and they're like they just laugh uh his employers just laugh 
because uh, they're like, oh, we we don't we didn't know if you were capable of having humanoids. <laughs> Sort of like an aircraft making robot. Yeah, so yeah. sort of like a comment on like, even you know, it's always forgetting those sisters coming and he's not oblivious, but he's also like a bit disconnected from those emotions. Yeah, yeah. And doesn't like the idea of them being used, but also isn't like, I don't know, I don't know the right word. But I think as well, it's like a comment, I feel like he, there was World War One and then World War Two, and it's a lot of time spent in war but people's lives exist yeah. <laughs> and continue and normal things happen in unnormal circumstances, mm. uh, which is kind of like what was happening in this film. It was... It's like what's happening now. It's well. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the world can be burning to the ground, but the birds will still fly. The squirrels will still eat and bears will still hunt. You know, like life continues regardless. That is profound. I think I like the fact that this is a film based during wartime, but mm. has nothing to do with <laughs> war. <laughs> it's like, this is just happening, but these people's lives still exist. And they're not every day waking up going, uh, I must think about war and the implications of war and what's happening. Like at that point, you know, Everyone, no matter what country you were in, you know, you were working for or help, like aiding mm. your country on whichever side they were on in the war. Because <laughs> that's how it works, you know, mm. especially back then. Like, that's just how it, how it worked. Uh, so I don't feel like it can, like, you know, you're either part of it or, you know, get arrested for not supporting it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting yeah i guess i'm yeah i never probably considered that because i guess when we when we look back because you, know, you know none of us were alive in either war but you kind of you see it through whether it's film or whatever media or story and you get the impression that during that period in time it's all saving private ryan <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's, all, yeah, it's all on the beaches of normandy everyone yeah. is everyone is there everyone is locked loaded <laughs> later, or suffering <laughs> from tragedy yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah like you say tazzy yeah you have people that are just away from it and just living whatever normal counts in during those times but just living their life and i guess this is this story is about almost like those two things coming together because mm. like jiro's normal thing is he you know you saw him the story starts with him as a as a boy and it's all about his his dreams his aspirations his imagination because you we go pretty much straight into his dream and you kind of see that side of it. So that's always what he wanted to do, regardless of the war. It's just like, because of the war, the way he's going to get to do that is by building planes that are going to go and kill people and, and bomb mm. towns and everything. And I feel there was a lot of that in the story where you had these fantastical kind of dream settings that would then like almost seamlessly just go into like the reality of like planes flying overhead and carpet bombing entire cities and there were a few moments like that of of the the, the juxtaposition of, of those two things of like the what i'd like to see this is beautiful planes flying around and just mm -hmm. the destruction of this war yeah so yeah is a is a cool for me. and like it, it worked visually but just like thematically as well it's like it's interesting to see that kind of side of it i mean i, I feel because like i said like 
after the film had finished, I'm like thinking about, yeah, what is the responsibility? And I feel, actually, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you have to, like you, you tell a story for a specific purpose. Um, I don't think there was like, at least from what I saw, there's not like an effort to say like Japan had no part in this or like it was, it was uh, all nice. It was just like, I'm focused on this part of of this time yeah. period and uh and that's what i'm going to focus on but i kind of yeah i take the i understood like the criticisms uh of that as well also interested in the the characters like and some of the main characters uh also actually before i even get into that um because we talked about like the voice acting and and inko you said you like the the english <laughs> yes. voice actors. Yes. yeah <laughs> yeah i it's they had some like really big people in this so I noticed, like, so I mentioned uh, John Krasinski, who is, um, oh man, names. Uh, he's in the office, and I've completely forgotten the name of his character. He's going to bug me now. <laughs> Sorry, you know, I've got, to, I've got to go and like Google, Google this because yes, fat I've got Jack. To, Jim. How can I forget Jim? Oh my, wow, I love Jim. Sorry, sorry, Jim, if you're watching this. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, John uh, Krasinski, um, uh, Emily Blunt. So I was just like, these are, you know, up there in terms of like Hollywood acting uh, talent, which is quite cool to see. Yeah. Is there any particular reason why you enjoyed the the English one, the voice acting versus the... Uh, the one the reason I didn't like the voice of the Jiro in Japanese film. And then there's a voice acted by uh, animation director Hideaki Anno, which is the animation director of the Neon Genesis Evangelion. And then it's not really acting experience before uh, he's, because he's a director rather than the actor. But um, he's quite really very plain voice acting in a way, really difficult to trace his emotion and very difficult to get into him it's just diff- difficult to relate to him and okay. uh, yeah but just Gordon Levitt um you can trust a bit more of the personality side of the Jiro and then a bit more like more likable definitely <laughs> the voice yeah. wise and also the Emily Brown that's a beautiful voice for the uh, Naoko in the English version you can tell that Naoko's voice getting weaker and weaker um, every scene we see the Naoko again, the, again, Naoko has got very few physical ability to come up with, to saying anything. That's really got me uh, so much of the, uh, how Naoko's life is ending soon. So that's the English version that's got more indication of the, um, those two characters' personality and then Naoko's like, physical difficulty of the, having a normal life. I mean, that's, yeah, it's amazing acting as well, that English version. No, I, I agree with that. I think, well, I, to be fair, I haven't heard the, the Japanese uh, version, but uh, I did like the voice acting uh, in the English version. And it's always nice when you you kind of, because voice acting is harder than it might seem. And mm-hmm. I've, I feel like I've mentioned mm-hmm. this on a podcast before, but the Lion King remake, there are some, there are a few good voice actors, Timon and Pumbaa, uh, obviously Mufasa, scars okay but sorry like beyonce is not a voice actor um and i just that just came across you can't just like come and read lines and then go you have to <laughs> actually embody the character uh but anyway back to the wind rises that's my uh, little gripe but with the wind rises you kind of you feel like you say you feel the the voice actors portraying the characters so even though i recognize um sort of john krasinski's voice it, it kind of fits with his 
uh, with his character, which is always good. I'm not sure how, because I don't do voice acting, uh, so I don't know what the, the the particular skill is, but I feel it's made to good use. And I know sometimes with uh, Japanese language uh, animations, with um, anime, people always say like the, the Japanese version, you know, you want to listen in the original Japanese voices. I guess sometimes it is better. Maybe most of the times it is better. Uh, and sometimes it's not. So, um, <laughs> so I guess this is one of those cases. Um, in terms of like the the characters themselves, yeah, just wanted to know what you thought about the characters and their their roles because I mean we spoke about Jiro and in particular I kind of want to delve into the Jiro Naoko relationship and how that was played out. We didn't see too much of her and she was kind of there almost served as the tragedy for Jiro, which I guess does fit the story, but I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, and like the relationship, how it developed and how it ended. I'm quite surprised that uh, Studio Ghibli showed such a mature relationship like this. I think that uh, on the Studio Ghibli love story, this is, I think, the most matured one that's showing that not just love interest, but also like uh, um, they determined to get together, even though whatever happens to them. Of course, uh, Naoko's disease is just terminal illness. And also, this Jiro might catch it from her. But they determined to be together because uh, they, if Naoko's to stay in the san- sanatorium, I and mean, she might be, not be able to see him again after the winter or something. So mm. they had to be together uh, to be able to, how can they just feel to live together. It's when the, the particular thing when Jiro was smoking next to the lying down Naoko when he was working at home and then it's still holding hands together. Uh, it looks like uh, Naoko is just putting her lift of the life into him and his brain as well. So it's really all connected to, to the what he's designing, the airplane. And then, so it's really not just uh, playing as a tragedy heroine, but also like uh, giving the Jiro to, how can I say, just go for his life for and uh, chasing after the what he's dreamed, dreamed of. Uh, so it's really like uh, not just a love story, but also the kind of how determine yourself to get together with someone. So it's really... Yeah, touching and seeing them together. Yeah. Like, she kind of acts like his muse. Yeah. So I feel like, as well, it could come across like Jiro's being really selfish, but they both want to be together. She's not... You mean, like, that moment in particular when he's... Because he was... uh, I think the moment Inko referred to is, like, when he was going to go... Well, he had to work, and... He's like, yeah, just they're holding hands as he works. And he was mm. wanting to go and smoke, which is like, you know, stay here. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to smoke here. And it was almost that, I guess, a kind of a reflection of the the wider story as well, where he, the thing he loved had a tragic ending mm. and he was okay with that. And it was like both of them in that moment, like his relationship and the, the work on the planes, like came together in that yeah. moment. I feel like, so for me personally, like, it, just in general, I feel like here their relationship could come off like he's being selfish, but it's also what she wanted. Uh, and I think it's important to realize that like she was dying. And there's even mo- moments where they say like he's being selfish, but she was dying. She didn't want to be a burden. And I think that's just like really important. And I think it's like 
the attitude towards death in general. We don't take into consideration that when someone is nearing the end of their life, they want to make an impact on the world in their way. And mm. uh, that's what she done. she helped the love of her life realize his dreams and didn't mind him coming home late and working she's like i'm just here in bed anyway so it's not going to make a difference right (laughs) (laughs) like i'd rather give give something to you and have have some meaning there because Jiro's sister did there was a moment where she kind of i guess scolded him like how can you you know, be coming, going to work, come back so late. And uh, I think there was that line where she was like, you know, uh, now because she puts on rouge uh, on the cheeks. Yeah. Blush, yeah. Um, just to, so you don't worry so much. Um, that was mm. like a, that was a, even I was like, oh, oh man, that's really, that's really bad. You should <laughs> maybe think about your life, man. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah, she was like willing to do that. I don't, I don't know if that's like a good or bad thing, but it's a thing. It's I don't think it's thing. either. It's yeah. like it's a her choice thing and her her choice being respected. Mm. She also seemed really free for a woman of that time. Her dad seemed to be very um liberal. Very respectful and liberal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> I did I did also sort of notice how like the relationship played out. And again, to my earlier point about Western versus Eastern thing, or maybe it's just a Miyazaki thing where in say like your your average i don't know hollywood blockbuster you have the romantic interest and it's kind of again it's 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 signposted a lot and you have the typical stages of it before they sort of get together but this wasn't that it was again it was like slow because even in the story they they meet and they had the moment on the train where they meet and it's like okay this is the uh the love interest but then they don't see each other for uh, for ages, and then Jiro yeah. goes about his life like um, makes his planes, and then they come together later. And then the film kind of goes from focusing on the the planes to then like the relationship and the the sort of mix uh, of both. So even in that respect, like the it doesn't play out like you would maybe expect to see if you're sort of more used to like yeah your sort of western films was is that just me am i no i think you're right mm, and in the end he loses the girl and the planes right yeah actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah none of none yeah, of the planes none of the planes he desired came came back and no! uh, he loses girl kind of sad but then the message was like just carry on living anyway like yeah loss is kind of a part of life. It's really sad, though. It, it is really, it's really <laughs> sad. Do you, and like a note I, I made down as well is like, do you think Giro, because he doesn't really, does he see the error of his ways? Does he need to see the error of his ways? Because again, you might expect like this be in a story where someone, you know, the, the brilliant scientist or engineer in this case making what is being used uh making tools that are being used for destruction and by the end he has his redemptive moment where he discovers the error of his ways i mean we um in a previous episode we talked about rogue one and this actually just i'm just thinking about this now where you had the scientist uh who escaped and was brought back to work on the the death star but because he you know he realized the error of his ways he made 
a um a fail safe or he, he built some a, a failure point in the death star to as his way of resisting like obviously Joe doesn't do that he's like these are solid <laughs> these are solid <laughs> fire planes <laughs> like these, these planes work there's none of that uh in there but you know what i'm saying like you have that so you could take that approach of i realized the error of my ways and i'm gonna do something but yeah this again this really doesn't he doesn't do that it's just like this is just what it is this is what he goes through and by the end he doesn't doesn't I don't, yeah i don't even know if there's anything to learn I, I mean for him in in the story just he there's no regret necessarily apart from the overarching him not being you know sort of ideally not wanting to take part in the war but it being <laughs> the only way to make his planes so yeah it's just like really interesting to to think about he he created uh, so many um great designs but i think that's a uh, uh, great design means but design because it's mass destruction he can cause yeah um, <laughs> and this is only one just really short scene of the his airplane is completely um, disrupted and then just before that's why he ha- had to have a holiday off from the work because he failed of the uh one of the airplane he designed it didn't fly then christmas then it doesn't show anything about his desolation, about his failure in that part as well. Um, so oh, we don't see, we, we see a lot of his fantasies, or even though during the uh, disaster, even during the people escape from the train in the earthquake time, and he was fantasizing airplanes in the sky. And we see a lot of his um, daydreaming, but we don't see his despair at all. And I personally, love to see more of his despair um about more reality about his failure but this film really like take out of it so um i personally think i just want to see more of what he felt about his failure what he felt about his airplane didn't come back or what he felt about japan lost the war or things like that which we don't really see much in there yeah the film is definitely very much about the dream his dreams and focusing on those. Personally, I like that because that's how I best get through life is by focusing <laughs> on yeah. uh, the dreams. And when people sit there and like, hey, by the way, uh, you know, despair exists. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> and that's when I get dragged into uh, <laughs> a deep state of depression. But um, mm. I feel like, because even with his dreams, there is a lot of fire and smoke uh, often um creeps in and is is displayed and I feel like that is the symbol of his despair and the symbol of of like what his dreams are that's happening behind the scenes but yeah like is the message like you know just needing to focus on your dreams because he could sit there and focus on how bad the war is and someone else would have made those planes yeah, I mean that is that is the excuse that the the Nazis <laughs> used to like. <laughs> hey, if it wasn't if it wasn't for me, someone else would be. <laughs> yeah, he just I don't know. Like it's hard because it's still like just people trying to live their lives, mm. and it's that point and like him him just being a dreamer and wanting to make this yeah beautiful planes that are based on the fish bones. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fish. <laughs> yeah and it's it's i don't know it's like it's, it's a lot of imagination like even though this film's like based in a more realistic setting it's still just about fantasy 
Yeah. But just a more realistic, like just someone's personal fantasy rather than the genre of fantasy. <laughs> yeah. And then like some of the other characters, I felt uh, Kudakawa, uh, his supervisor, just like bringing the comedic element uh, into the... <laughs> the comic relief. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I mean, actually, I say that he had he had his kind of more grounded and, and heartfelt moment later on. But initially when he was, uh, or when Jiro was starting to work, and you just see this, he's way shorter than him. He's like, just like uh, maybe, yeah, more rounded uh, than Jiro. And his hair... Like there's a, <laughs> like we talked about the, the 2D element and there's a lot of, I know it's an animation, there's a lot of movement. Like even when things are still, there's a lot of movement in like the scenes or whether the, the trees or hair. And for uh, Kurokawa, uh, particularly his hair, because his hair was like moving <laughs> with every step he took. And I felt it just, he had an inherent comedic element. But then I, I really liked how later on, because to hide Jiro, uh he he kept him at his his house and then later with uh naoko and then uh i think he was having a conversation with his his wife about wanting them to stay and he was like oh i can't or well, i can't have her you both here because you're unmarried so then well, okay we're gonna get married and then they went through the whole ceremony so then when um naoko was brought in and he had that touching moment because they they gave both like an introduction uh, and he's like, oh, he's, yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't remember the exact line. It was um, like, oh, he's about him, like, not having his own house is inconsiderate. And... Yeah. He's, he's... yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, if you want that kind of thing or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, he's, like, crying later. So, yeah, he got his, he, he was, like, definitely had the, the comedic element, but he had his kind of real touching moment uh, in this piece. Did anyone have any sort of standout moments uh or or scenes even like visually yeah when the earthquake happens in the just that whole bit of of portraying the earthquake movement of the ground yeah yeah the way it went through the ground the noise the the like sound effects for it and even like the after tremors the way uh the animation was done on the houses yeah i just i just what when watching i was just like wow like mm. just wow <laughs> and even that moment was that was a real moment i mean it was a obviously the real moment but i mean in the piece it wasn't a a zero imagination because that's why when i saw like the movement of the ground i thought we were in his fantasy again but that was actually how the earthquake was represented like wow this is yeah this really organic movement of the ground and the house but then I guess, yeah, if you're sort of in an earthquake situation, the ground's moving. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. There's, there is a lot of movement. And also the sound is all done by the human voices of the, oh, the wow. airplanes. And also the, the sound of the earthquakes is all done by human voices. So oh, really? it makes me more creepy about the earthquake. That's, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I did think when I was listening to it, I was like, is this like oh, really? a, a voice? I was like, I couldn't work it out. I was like, is that is someone's voice or, or how yeah, is that? Or airplane. Yeah. Airplane. Wow. Or, yeah. or disasters, airplanes or human voices. Oh, wow. Interesting. Why Why do it that way? Is it like to add the... Because it, it, the sound did have like character to them. I guess that was... Oh, maybe. It's one of the reasons is the Hayao Miyazaki want to add the... You know, small boys, when they're playing with uh, 
um, toys. They added the old oh, yeah, sound the effects with the voices. Yeah. I think Hayao Miyazaki wanted to do, but in a really you know, amazing way. So that's what a lot of people are saying. That it's basically the child's play. He tried to bring it into the, the film. And it's really like experimental to if that works or not. But I think that it works, especially that earthquake scenes really sounded creepy. Yeah, I didn't, I had no idea. I didn't think of it as I was watching. Um, but okay, that's a really cool uh, bit of information. I thought the well, the scenes that went from Ishiro's imagination into the the real world or vice versa because there's a there's a point um oh when he was on the train and then he had to jump out to follow Caproni the Italian engineer and then like the scene just changed like as he was rolling on the ground I just like those moments or I think when he was looking over the sky and then it just like that transitioned into bombers just uh, laying waste to whatever city they were over. I love like those moments of transition between kind of imagination and uh, and real life. And also, I, I thought a nice moment was when having reconnected with Naoko and Zero had the plane, like he made the paper plane, and they were like throwing that back and forth. I thought that was like a nice moment where, yeah, you could like forget the war. <laughs> and like yeah. Tazu was saying, I guess, yeah, you still, you can still have those moments even in like a terrible situation because it's not, it's not literally everywhere there's war, but you know, it's, there's people living their lives. And yeah, I thought that was a nice moment between the two. Uh, oh, I, I also have to give a shout out for the, uh, the creepy German guy. I don't know if he was a soldier, but oh, yeah. He, he had some eye contact thing going on, and I was like, "Well, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that either." It was, <laughs> it was very intense. <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone else felt that, but yeah, it's a very uh, intense guy. There's no mentioning who he is, isn't it? There's no. Uh, he's a friend of the, oh, the German uh, engineer, yeah, and uh, came to. Oh, well, I don't know if he came to warn him, but he warned. Well, he'd like spoke to Jiro about how he's uh, anti-Nazi. Yeah, I like that. Just getting that out there before it all comes crumbling down. I was I was yeah. against it from the beginning. <laughs> I was, <laughs> but yeah, he was a bit mysterious because even when he he left because they were talking outside, and then was it uh, Naoko's father or someone came and then. Like the guy had gone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where, yeah. where he's gone. And next thing, thing you know is like, yeah, he's arrested and they're coming after you as well. So, um, so he was a spy, right? We found out later that uh, he's a the German spy. I know, spy from Soviet or something. Then I, because I wasn't totally sure about him. I, I got that he was some kind. I thought it was some kind of spy or spy adjacent guy who just it wasn't for what was happening in in uh, in Germany. Mm. So that's why Jiro was had to hide away, right? Because he was speaking yeah. to him at the holiday house, and yeah, oh, really... I think it was because he had the connection from speaking to the engineer when they went to Germany. Because oh. they also mentioned that um, some more of the workers were arrested. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, they did. All right, and they wasn't sure why. And I think it just happened that. <laughs> Hero came across yeah, the, exactly the other intense 
uh, but it was all very mysterious. He was talking about it's holiday house is great great place to forget everything Japan fought with China then forget and then you know just uh, left the world nation then forget then it's involved in the war then Japan and Germany will doom to be burst or something yeah he was saying and then and Jiro didn't even say anything about it and I don't know if the Jiro also agree with him or he I thought he did comment about it uh, I think he commented a few times about it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. when they had the conversation, yeah. Uh, what was it? He said, can't remember. And then later on in the film, yeah. he says like Japan is going to, and then whatever, like burn. Right. And re quoted what the mm. oh, what a German guy, yeah, guy said. said. Yeah. Right. So he he basically agreed with him then. That... Yeah. And he also like wished that he like got out of the country safely when he was writing a letter to Nayako. Mm. Oh, that's a good point. Okay. Yeah. He did have, he had his moments. <laughs> and in terms of uh, themes as well, I was like looking at uh, themes. I mean, we talked about the idea of like dreams and imagination. But like I said, because it, it's, a, it's a sad piece and it's almost like you can have dreams, but they're not it's not all good and there's almost like some curse because even obviously the, the dreams of the uh of being a plane engineer but then his his marriage to naoko was kind of cursed because he wanted to marry her and she said i've got tuberculosis so that was like almost doomed to, to have a bad ending as well um and then i also mentioned like the idea of his his actual dreams uh in in the animation sort of interrupted by the real life uh, images from you know world war ii planes um sort of exploding or, or bombing cities um and then the one actually i wanted to discuss before uh, we end is like this idea of the morality and the technology we we create because uh, tazzy mentioned this already but the engineer or the italian engineer uh, caproni asked giro if he'd prefer to live in a world with or without pyramids and that's a really like that's one of the things I was thinking about after the the film ended. Like, yeah, because we, you know, the pyramids one of the wonders of the world, but how are they made? <laughs> like how how are these things made? And even to relate it back to like today, uh, I always think about kind of social media. I've always got this like love-hate relationship with, with social media and it being a a good thing in some ways. But in other ways, it's really bad. Like, does really bad things, and it's like, yeah, what? Like, how do how do we handle this like morality in in the technology we create and unleash in the world? Like, either yeah. in the way it's made, or like the the effect of it after it's made and and put out into the world. I don't know if I have a question. Just I wanted to put that out a there. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And I think the difference is like uh, they were making planes for the war. Like, there's they were for the war. <laughs> They were building the bombers rather than building something that happened to be then bought after or taken after and used. And like, I feel like there, there's, there is a point. It's do you, I think as we move on as well, like you always have to, to make things. There's definitely, it's easier now to make something with, in a good way and with good intent you know it's definitely more accessible we have we're more connected with people to find 
the good people to fund it rather than the bad or other people to work with that align with your uh, morals. But there's there's no way of stopping things from being used for bad. And there's something I learned in photography, and I think it applies to technology as well as art. Okay. Is that, so the, the thing I learned was like, when once you put your art out there, and I think it's a quote from a famous artist, I don't know. <laughs> but once you put your art out there, it's no longer yours. Whoever finds it, whoever takes it, that now their interpretation or their use of it is is what it is. And you can't not create art just in case someone interprets it. Uses it, it for bad. Wrong, yeah, or use it. And I think it's the same with technology. You can create your technology uh, with all good intent. Someone is always going to use it for bad. Unfortunately, that's just how the world works. There is bad in it. And even if you... I, I just think it's great when people do create ways to try and stop it from being used for bad. And that is a certain responsibility there, especially for something like social media. But um, they're always going to find a way. And it's trying to fill the world with as much good uses for it. Uh, and then you can dilute the bad. Okay. I, will, I think I, I can accept that. I guess I'm going to have to. Because, <laughs> 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 okay. I, yeah, I, again, I sort of come back to like the internet and social media because, you know, we're doing this podcast over the internet. It's allowed us to do that. But then I think about the like the early days of the internet like when you had to plug it in. Uh, and yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I've just alienated a, sort of a large section of our audience. Actually, <laughs> I've, I've seen our stats. So we've, we've got a sizable amount of our audience that will actually relate to this. So anyway, you had to like plug it in and getting on the internet was a thing. It was amazing. It's wonderful. And the things you can do fast forward to now. And we've got like this idea of like social media impacting sort of democracies. Like that's mm. such a far fetched. Uh, so I, I, I can't imagine that even like the democracy thing, but also like the privacy thing that just like impacts everyone and just like all the lack thereof. I, I yeah. can't imagine when making the technology, and I guess it's it's different than the planes in uh, the wars, because like Tazzy said, that's made to be destructive. I mean, after you can find uh, uses for that, but it was made for that. But whereas it's kind of the inverse with the the internet and, and social media where it was made for like this wondrous, like everyone's going to connect and we're going to, everyone's going to share their mm -hmm. ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, maybe it's not a good thing that everyone shares every idea they, they have. <laughs> like, how, do, how do you, yeah, how do you do that? Like, again, I'm, I'm kind of on a soapbox here. I've got no real kind of question or point. Yeah. It was like a consideration I had after, particularly after that line about, you know, would you rather live in a world with pyramids or without? Uh, and having said all that, I think I'd still rather live in a world with, with pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I'm i mean i had a thought the other day i was like i can't remember what i was watching but i just went do you know what sometimes i kind of wish i lived in a world where we didn't have the internet uh as much as yeah. i love it and i live in it i was just i can't remember what it's watching that triggered that thought i think it was watching people like communicate in a very old-fashioned way that i'm partially incapable of doing uh <laughs> 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 but maybe that's just because i grew up with the internet sort of like I've grown as it's grown so we're kind of intertwined like that but yeah it's definitely it's definitely a thing that you always have to be think of and like for me just in sorry I'm gonna go off on one a little bit but I'll <laughs> keep it short and sweet um anonymity on the internet when there was less people on it before uh Facebook made it the norm anonymity was normal so everyone 
everyone like you didn't share personal details on the internet you don't let people know your name your age your location anything like that you definitely didn't tell them what school you went to or where you work and because everyone had it it then made it hard to bully people or harass people and if they did they were just kind of like putting harassment out and hoping it lands on the affected groups <laughs> uh, whereas now where a everyone's on it so you're definitely going to land on the affected group the 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 groups you want that harassment to oh yeah to you harm. can target at, like laser guided harassment also you can remain anonymous well that person is not anonymous then it becomes one-sidedly personal. Right. The person being attacked, it feels very personal because they have targeted your personal account. But mm. then for the person doing the harassment, it's like, it's not my name. It's yeah, not my details. Yeah. They're safe. So they've then disconnected themselves from that personal uh, interaction. And yeah, and it's like, you couldn't really de- determine that. I don't know. I don't think Facebook was like, really took that into consideration when they changed the internet norm. Because like before that, just you you didn't on your social media. You might put your first name on your MySpace <laughs> and your uh, the first initial of your last name, but you wouldn't put your like full name. You might put some details, but you, you know you'd be a bit more cautious of it. And like Facebook came along, and it was like, give us your full name, <laughs> where you work, where you live. Otherwise, you can't use our platform. And uh, now it's just the norm to put all of that information out there. Oh yeah, yeah. So yes, yeah. it's pyramids, man. We're, yeah, yeah, it's pyramids. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, another thing that that happened, uh, and same we as when we talked about Princess Mononoke, is the kind of ambiguous mm. ending. The idea mm. is like Naoko, she went off. She didn't want to die with Jiro having the image of her sort of suffering and everything. She wanted to keep that um, that good image of her in in his mind. What do you think happened to uh, Jiro after he was told to to live his life like in a I know it's like based on a real person and something did actually happen but in in this story like wh- what do you think happened do you think he like do you think he made more planes for or like found something else to do I think he made more planes <laughs> I do I do too he- and I like to think that he made like uh commercial planes like that are going to carry passengers rather than and he got to finally realize that dream <laughs> i'm sure he carries on i'm sure he carries on the creating planes yeah i can't really think about him without the designing planes mm. it was it was his like his purpose and like his true love as well uh was the planes <laughs> no that's true yeah it's like how i feel like there's certain things you can't take out of people for some people, some people are able to, you know, change it. But I feel like for Jiro, like making planes was, that's just part of him. That there's not, it's not separate from him. Mm. <laughs> it's not a thing he does, it's just a thing he is. He is, yeah. That's mm. like what he's here for. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I think he, yeah, I also think he continued. And I did like the ending of that, uh, of the story of the idea of sort of living your life. So whatever it, is it, it there? There's some inherent sadness to it at some point, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't sort of go and do it. I quite like that message at the end. So that is our deep dive discussion into the wind rises. Uh, let us know what you think um, of the film. Um, if you haven't seen it, well, you know, you know, 
everything about it by now but um yeah it's definitely one worth watching and uh from that we are now going to go into our story tip what i wanted to talk about for for this we we touched on it uh in the discussion is this idea of pacing and particularly i guess it's just going to be a little advocation for slow pacing uh, so earlier i talked about the the pacing of the wind rises and i guess if i had one criticism it was f in a weird way for me even though as someone who likes uh, slow paced stories it, it did feel slow and i was wondering if that if it was too slow um but overall i like the uh the ability to let the events unfold and i think that's a sort of a real uh strength of miyazaki's stories and having the, the confidence not to rush just to get to the good part so i wanted to uh spell out and just like give some tips for people to consider in the pacing of their stories and just to remember that the the pace and the speed of your story are two separate things so sometimes when you hear of pacing issues uh, you can naturally think that it means the pacing needs to be increased but that's not necessarily the case because if you think about it even a, a roller coaster has slower moments to contrast with the high speed ones and it's the same with stories so it's always a balance so slow stories uh, you risk your audience losing interest but if you move too fast and your audience won't be able to keep up with what they need to know to stay invested in the story uh, so i wanted to give a few tips for being able to control the pacing of your story whatever type of story you're working on uh, so the first one is that uh, good pacing happens before you even start writing anything uh, and this is about the structure of your story so for me when i'm working on our uh, on our manga uh, i like to outline the story pretty much from beginning to end and everything uh, in between so identifying the major moments in the story uh, what happens who happens to and what everyone wants at any given uh, time so that kind of that step before you start writing like way before any like dialogue or anything like that it just lets you see where you need to even out the pacing it's going to bring up pacing issues so it could be you notice moments that need to be ramped up in terms of like tension to get to an explosive moment or it might be slowing things down to give the audience time to to breathe and reflect on things that have just happened like i said pacing doesn't necessarily mean having to increase pacing it could be slowing it down so number two is to determine what is necessary and what is not in your story and when you have that outline it's easier to reorder things uh, and sometimes when you're less attached at the early stage it's easier to take things out uh, if need be so you may need to remove parts um, but you may also find that some moments need to be added again if you're moving too fast you may need to slow things down which kind of brings me to the next tip uh, number three which is not to forget character development as an opportunity to control the pace of your story so if your pacing is off it could be uh, the flow of your events but it could also be that you haven't provided the right information to your audience at the moment it's needed in your story uh, so adding moments of character development uh, not only gives you the opportunity to slow things down but also it's like a killing two birds with one stone allows you to reveal motivations behind character actions so that just like provides understanding or foreshadowing of higher pace moments to come and again allows you to kind of adjust the pacing if you're having issues in your story 
So number four, the last tip is just a uh, again a reminder that when putting your story together, uh, always think about what does the audience need to know and when do they need to know it. So pacing is is always tied to story structure and understanding the structure of your story before you start writing uh, will allow you to identify uh, and make the necessary improvements along the way or in inevitable revisions when you're writing your story and going back over and tweaking and changing as always happens. So yeah, that's the story tip for today's episode. Uh, Let us know what you think about pacing, anything you've learned around that area as always feedback at myamada.com um so tazzy what's our guest been up to so we are going to get more details from ingo on any latest projects or inter um or interesting news that you've got going on at the moment so uh is there anything you're working on at the moment that you'd like us to talk about yeah um i Probably shouldn't allow to tell the details of the what I'm working on. Um, I'll be announced in end of this year. But I'm working on two different projects, uh, two different books. One is more like a how to draw manga, a more technical side of the how to draw manga, uh, and then another one is the uh, manga adaptation of the old literature of Japanese literature, which is about love and success. And then those two books will be supposed to be published uh, July next year. So, yeah, just uh, um, looking forward to be able to announce the properly the end of this year. Did you say July? Yeah, supposed oh, wow, to be that's a long, published, right? Yeah. That's a long lead time. Oh, is that normal? I don't... <laughs> yes, I got so, so much time to be able to work on. And what do you, like, what's the, the, the process? So I know you said you can't give too much away, but is that, are you writing up until July or is that like you write it and then there's like marketing and, and stuff involved? Yeah, I just think one of, his, um, one of the books I'm writing up until April, then probably announced around the June, July time. But um, it's, it's all about if I can, <laughs> catch up the deadline or not oh, as, right. well, as well <laughs> yeah um how i don't know about the COVID 19 goes as well so um i still don't know what exact schedule but what i'm doing is just uh, still doing a sketch process now until end of the, this year then all sketches down then i can announce it and uh, other book how to draw is like a, more like a the writing bits i'm doing it so editors now looking at all my writing and just um, discussing which way should go or just correcting um, as things should be more practical or not. So I'm still on the way of a meeting up or sketching, draft, the, the, that stage at the moment. Oh, cool. That was it for me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh very um it's very interesting to hear like the process and how long that actually takes so long (laughs) so um we normally go into listener feedbacks and questions at this point today we don't have any questions but if you would like to leave any questions for future episodes or on any of our episodes you can do so by sending us an email at feedback at myamada.com or on our social media 
at Myamada on Twitter, at Myamada Tees on Instagram, or at Tazzy on both. Uh, and that's the end of this episode. So, yeah, just a big thank you f- uh, to Inko for joining us once again uh, to discuss another uh, Miyazaki piece. Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. No, it's great. It's, it's um, uh, You bring authenticity because you actually know what you talk about being from Japan and having seen both uh, English and Japanese versions. So I was like uh, learning from your perspective. Oh, thank you. I'm really obsessive to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, so, yeah, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Story X Story. Uh, if you did, subscribe so you can listen to past episodes and make sure you catch uh, the future episode, the amazing future episodes to come. Uh, you can also review us, give us a rating, review on Apple Podcasts, which uh, helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. Uh, we make our own stories, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, we've also got a new manga coming. Uh, and like I said, it's going to have stuff, uh, artwork from Inco uh, as well. So yeah, definitely look forward to that. Uh, it's in the process. I'm writing it. We're going to do artwork, that whole... We've got our own process. It's not going to be July. It won't be that that long. But, um, <laughs> it, will, it will be here uh, sooner than you know, maybe. We'll see. Uh, we've also got our next Gamepad event, which is coming in January, the 16th of January. And before then, we're going to have a bunch of community events. Um, I didn't mention it before, but game nights, we're going to work on that. We're going to have interviews, discussions, uh, yeah, where we're leaning into this whole like online thing because, well, we have to, but also it is a nice platform for reaching more people. So check out gamepad.events for details on the next big Gamepad online event. Uh, and also check the show notes for a link to our Discord where you can also catch the in-between community events. And as always, you can stay tuned for more podcast episodes, including creator interviews, video game discussions, and general deep dives into stories across pop culture. As always, you can give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at myamada.com and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story. Until next time, stay tuned, continue to stay safe and make some pyramids because we all want more pyramids in our life regardless of the consequences (laughs) see you all later